You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Hey, everybody. It's Wednesday night. Time for American Winer on podcastdetroit.com. How's everybody doing? My name is Alex we are joined tonight by Mr. James Baglino, of, uh, formerly of Monster Magnet and many, many other uh, endeavors and projects that you will hear about. Uh, Jimmy, how you doing? All right, buddy. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, no problem. You jo- you're joining us currently uh, from the side of the road somewhere in Maryland. You're on your way back uh, home yeah, from D.C. Yeah, I, mean, you know, I hang out on the side of the road sometimes <laughs> in uh, Maryland. <laughs> I'm here in Maryland. On the side of the road, it's not creepy or anything, it's kind of cool, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, sometimes you just gotta pull over and enjoy the scenery, right? Call into a yeah, podcast, yeah, of course. You know, beautiful day out here, nice sunset, very nice. Um, well, we always start off these in- these uh, interviews with the exact same question, and that question is, Where were you born? Well, I was born a hundred years ago in the 1970s, oh, no, in an amazing place called. Jersey City. Okay. And yeah, Jersey City. Back then, it had more hunchbacks than any other city in the country. I read that in an imaginary book, but now I believe Orlando has the most hunchbacks. I think that's the case. Hunchbacks. Uh, wow. Back in the seventies, it was uh, it was uh, Jersey City. Yeah, it was a it was a very strange place back then. Not what it is now. Now it's like you know. Now it's. Uh, it's much different. Well, it must but be. That's where I'm from. It must be from all like the the hunchbacks. Are they from like people like hunched over at slot machines? Is that what that is from? All the gambling, or is that... I, I don't know. I just remember as a kid, like everybody, like like hunchbacks, like walking around the the, the street. You know, it was um, it was a very weird place. I don't know. I think it was just like I think it was really just a bunch of like old ladies like pushing around strollers. But you know, in my head, uh, they were like hunchbacky type. Yeah. Well, tell me about your childhood. So you grew up uh, in Jersey City then? Yeah, I grew up in Jersey City. Actually, I grew up across the street from a cemetery. Ah. uh, So I actually spent a lot of time in the cemetery, which may explain quite a bit. But um, yeah, I I grew up in a cemetery. And there was one particular uh, mausoleum that I really liked. The guy's name was like it was a German name, like Wolf Schmidt or something like that. And I called him the Wolf Man. And uh, I would always hang around that mausoleum. It was like it had an eerie door on it. It was like this creepy setting sun. And that's where I spent a lot of my childhood, like walking around the cemetery. And you know, of course, my father would like scare the crap out of me. You know, like hide behind like tombstones, jumping out. You know, frightening me as a child. But. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was uh, pretty cool there. It was a huge cemetery too. Wow. Well, what, what did uh, what did your parents do for a living? My parents met. Um, my parents uh, worked in uh, Lower Manhattan, like in an office building. Um, you know, back back then in the day, my father pretty much stayed there, like you know, up until he died. He always worked in uh, like Lower Manhattan. But, uh, you know, I, I think they met in, like, Woolworths. I believe that's how like, people met back in, like, the day in the 60s, like, at, like, Woolworths and places like that. So, All right. You know. <laughs> uh, what, what kind of a student were you? What kind of a student was it? Not a very good one. Like, um, I, in hindsight, I probably should have become a dentist and, you know, <laughs> paid more attention. But I was not a good student. I did not like, you know studying doing homework or really like paying attention i really liked um you know more like practical jokes and uh and everything let me give you a quick little funny story so a couple friends of mine we had a teacher legendary teacher willie pearson i swear to god the guy must have been like you know like 90 something years old and a bald man and the hair on the side of his head would stick out so what we used to do is we used to dress up like him. We would actually, he used to wear these belly warmer like ties. And so we would be like, oh, you know, Mr. Pearson, we really like your ties. You know, they have like little dogs on them or, you know, a tree or something stupid. Um, so we'd be like, hey, you know, could, could we get some of your ties? They always had a different tie. 
So he, he brought in some ties for us. So we decided to start like dressing like them and we bought like bald wigs and we put like, you know, a little hair on the side and we would dress like them in these ties and we would show up to class like dressed like the teacher. And then, you know, we thought it was hilarious and then, you know, of course, we would get detention, we would get in trouble, and, you know, we would always do stupid shit. We'd leave the room, come back with our clothes on backwards. That's like pretty much like how I spent a lot of my, uh, you know, my days in school, you know, doing that. Yeah, would that have been like middle school or, or high school or? Yeah, no, well, no, we, uh, luckily it was before high school, but yeah, it was like middle school, but, you know, and that's really like, you know, at that time, I'd already started playing guitar. So what we used to do is that we used to, you know, this is really how, you know, by uh, early stages of like songwriting happened. We used to write songs about our teacher, Willie Pearson. And, you know, we, oh my God, we wrote like endless songs about him. And we would record them, you know, back in the day, you know, it was probably like, you know, a little tape recorder, you know, cassette recorder. And I think we got a we got a hold on so somebody had like a, a video camera. You know now everybody has it on their phone. I mean everybody videotapes everything. But back then, you used to have to you know it was it was you know it was a rarity to have like a video camera. You know like so we got a hands on one and we started to make videos us dressed up like him and we used to do these videos about these for these songs we used to write. And then, uh, you know, we actually were able to take it into school once. And we, uh, when we were supposed to be watching a movie, we stuck it in there and, you know, had to play in front of the class. And, you know, <laughs> we, th we thought it was hilarious again, but of course we got the tension. But I think he, like, secretly liked it because as we left, you know, that school and we went into high school, you know, it became like this thing where all the students would ask for his ties and his ties became like his thing. And, you know, from starting it like that. So I think he secretly liked it, but we would still get like detention every single day. Yeah. Right. He's got all put out here. It's pretty funny. Well, why, why, why did he have such an, I mean, you, you made videos of him, you dressed like him, you wrote songs about him. Like, like that's a huge influence for a teacher to have, you know, like why, why him? Yeah, but he was, well, it was probably because we were cruel and he was kind of, <laughs> I guess, maybe a little on the senile side, except an extremely intelligent man knew everything about history it was very, you know, intelligent, but, but also like probably, you know, uh, you know, um, a little senile at the time. He was very old, and he would do weird stuff like with his fingers and just like always lose stuff. And you know, because we were assholes, we used to like, you know, staple papers his papers to his desk or put like tacks on his chair and like, you know, of course, you know, getting more and more detention and you know. But uh, we thought we thought we were pretty funny, and I think everybody else in the class did. But I think secretly he liked us too. So yeah, it sounds like it kind of started <laughs> off like you said, like you were just you were making fun of him, but then it, it became like, well, he's an old coot, but he's our old coot kind of kind of. Vibe. Yeah, he is. Yeah, and he was like, like we you know, we really liked it, you, you know, and he kind of. Plus, I think because we could get away with a lot of stuff, you know, we would always cheat on tests, and like he was kind of a little out of it, but he didn't really know. But we just kind of. I, I don't know why we were kind of drawn to him so much, you know, but it was just because he was like a very uh, quirky character, I guess, you know. Yeah, well, here you are a hundred years later talking about him, so there you go. <laughs> we, we did a lot of weird stuff at that time. I guess that anybody does, you, you know, at that age. You know, we used to, just practical jokers. We used to like, you know, yeah, I guess like now everybody has porn on their on the computers or the phone, you can get it like you know two seconds. But back in the day, you used to actually have to get a porno magazine. You know, I don't even did even make those anymore. I don't know. I haven't seen a porno mag in in years. But we used to like. I remember. I don't know if this ever happened to you, but when you're that age, we came across a stash of porno magazines. We're like, oh, it, was, it was like, you, you might as well find like, you, you know, like gold bars. That was like amazing <laughs> to us. So what we used to do is we used to like, you know, we'd be hanging out. I think we started smoking weed at the too young of an age, too. We used to smoke a lot of weed. So um, we used to sit around smoking weed and we used to cut all the pictures out of the porno magazines of like vaginas and this and all that, you know. I remember one picture, uh, I was a construction worker, you know, all these like crazy <laughs> pictures. And we used to pick houses at random 
and we used to sneak up to the houses at night and we would we would tape all these porno pictures to people's doors. It would be like a vagina or a set of breasts. And then we would like knock on their door and we would just hide in their bushes and watch them like open the door. Like completely confused why they were like vaginas taped to their front door. You know, and oh God, we thought it was the funniest thing. We used to do this like to these people like, you know, all the time. And, you know, so that's pretty much, you know, explains a lot of me growing up. Well, you keep saying, you keep saying we, like, obviously it's you and your friends, but why don't you tell me about that group of friends that you, you had all those adventures well, with? Uh, yep. I'll, I'll get into that too. And that'll kind of bring me into the whole music thing. I grew up, uh, you know, my friend, Tom, my friend, Dave, Dave Whitty is actually a very uh, popular drummer right now, plays drums in a band, Municipal Waste, excellent, like thrashy band. And I, you know, my early bands, I played with him. And my friend Tom, he's now a police officer in Texas, top dude. Funniest dude I ever met in my life, man. That guy's great. So is Dave Whitty. And, you know, Dave's just like, you know, such an awesome drummer, too. So, um, we, you know, we would all hang out, you know, ride bikes, do stuff that kids do, throw rocks at cars and, you know, smash windows, and, like really, like hooligan bullshit. But, you know, um, that's what we did as kids, like, you know, just, you know, nothing better to do, I guess. Um, but we, we just, you know, after the Willie Pearson songs, we wanted to, like, you know, kind of start a new band. You know, we got into high school and everything. We were like, all right, you know, now let's start a new band. So the band we decided to start is a band called Legendary Band called the Anti-Pockets. Have you ever heard? I, I can't say I have. Nobody has. Because we really <laughs> never did anything. Except, you know, play people's garages. But, um, you know, any Dave Witty fans out there would like this. Because this is really how, you know, when Dave Witty got started. Like I said, he's a, you know, he's an awesome, like, legendary drummer now, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the band was called Anti-Pockets. And our thing was, we hated people that wore pockets. Okay. Let, let me answer this. Pockets on shirts. Does society really need that? I don't think so. Are you? Wearing, I can't see you right now. Are you wearing a shirt with a pocket? I'm not. No, I'm. I'm wearing just a t-shirt and then a, a, a hoodie. So uh, no, I. Yeah, I, I, yeah that's, that's all you need. Yeah, yeah. That's all you need. A t- t-shirt's fine. You don't need a shirt with pockets on it. Like anytime you see somebody with a shirt with pockets, right? Do they have anything in the pockets? No, it's a fucking empty pocket. Yeah, like, like, why does society need that? You don't need it. Maybe, all right. Maybe if you're a doctor or a waiter or a waitress or something like that, I'll accept you having a pocket. You could put like your pen in it or something like that. But for the most part, the world doesn't need pockets on shirts. That's that's you know? interesting. You know, it's, so we, I completely get that. But you, the thing is, is they must have needed them at some point. Because why would they have put them on there in the first place, right? Well, I'll, I'll get into that. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get into that too. I think people used to put their uh, cigarettes in the pocket. Oh, there you but go. But uh, you know what I? You know what I think everybody should do? They should roll the cigarettes up in their sleeves like Snyder from one day at a time. Yeah. Because I got to say, when I was a little kid, he had the the, uh, the cigarettes in the sleeves. I thought it was the coolest thing. Yeah. You know, I was surprised I never became a smoker because I thought it looked so cool. But anyway, I digress. So, um. Anti-Pockets, that was the beginning, bad. And all we really did was we wrote songs about pockets. We didn't like them. We were anti-pocket. So we would go around school, and anybody that had a pocket on their shirt, we would say, hey, listen, man, that pocket's no good. That pocket's going to get ripped off. And people would be like, get the fuck out of here, asshole. No, I'm serious. We're going to rip that pocket off your shirt. People would look, look at us like we're crazy. What are these guys talking about? Now, if you wanted your pocket to stay on your shirt, it had to have a button on it. If your shirt didn't have a button, you had to put some duct tape on it, and it would render the pocket neutral, and we couldn't rip it off. But if you didn't do that, by the end of the day, we were going to get your pocket. And that's what we did. We waited around school, and all those people we warned about their pockets, we would soon as they came walking out, we'd rip the pocket right off their shirt. So 
then we we head back to the garage and we'd write a song about it, <laughs> ripping people's pockets off. And then eventually we accumulated so many pockets, we sewed them all into a big pocket flag. And we, <laughs> when we used to play shows, we used to come out and like wave the pocket flag and sing our songs about anti-pocket. So there you go. And Dave Whitty was the drummer. I played bass. I'm sorry, I played guitar back then, and uh, Tom played uh, bass, and that that was it. It was like the dumbest thing you could ever imagine. And we also had a song called Anti-Pocket Suicide, because sometimes people would see us coming, and they would rip their own pocket off just to spite <laughs> us. That was called Anti-Pocket Suicide. Okay. So uh, that's how it all started. We were the cronies, you know. And, of course, we had all the like, cronies with us, um, you know. And a quick, another anti-pocket story. So we were at a show once. Do you call the band the Dead Milkmen? Remember those guys back in the day? Uh, I do not know, but but keep going. There was a band called the Dead Milkmen. We went to a Dead Milkmen show. And I remember the singer leaning over the crowd, and he had a pocket on his shirt. And we looked at each other, and we're like, we're going to get that fucking pocket. <laughs> so next time he leaned over the crowd, reached up, ripped his pocket off his shirt, and held it up in front of his face. And we were like, anti-pocket, motherfucker. <laughs> and the guy like looked down in total disbelief, like his shirt was ripped, missing his pocket. And he was just like, gets on the mic, he's like, anti-pockets. Everybody in the club ripped everybody's pockets off. And the whole club started tearing each other's pockets off. Oh, my God. That's how, that's how it all began. And... uh you know, that's how our, our music careers got started, for better or for worse, I guess. Are you still tearing people's pockets off of their shirts these days? No, you, you know, I, I, I really don't tear pockets anymore. You know, because it became a, an expensive hobby because we had to replace many shirts. And, uh, you know, but I still have a, uh, a dislike for pockets. Um you know, but maybe I want to see my girlfriend later. She's wearing a pocket. I'll tear her pocket off. Yeah, well, I was going to say, you know, because you, you've, you've been around, you know, a bunch of influential and, you know, famous people and stuff. You could have been collecting, you could have graduated to, like, collecting famous pockets. Like, maybe even, like, you know, you, you run into the president or something. You're the guy who tore the president's pocket off of his that, shirt. That, and yeah, then immediately I, got tackled I, I by the love, Secret Service. But <laughs> I would love to tear Trump's pocket off. I'll tell you that right now. I could be the guy. That tore Trump's pocket. Yes. So it, it's your first band was called Anti Pockets, and uh, you uh, you guys started a, a bit of a movement. It sounds like there was some uh, there was there was some uh, some momentum going on there with the the Anti Pocket thing. Um, but before we, yep. we go any further than that, I, I did want to ask you: um, How did you start uh, getting interested in music? And uh, and I mean, well, you know, something like you know, hanging out. I mean, yeah, we weren't real like you know, big sports guys, you know, we, you know, skated a little bit, you know, like rode our bikes, our BMX bikes. And, you know, um, I just, you know, we weren't really good at like, you know, the sport thing where it's, you know, skinny like guys, you know? So we kind of gravitated towards music, you know, I think when you're kind of like a little, like, you know, dorky or a misfit, like, you know, music, I think for a lot of people, you know, music, uh, you know, is something you gravitate towards, you know, like some people do the sports thing. I, I just happen to like the music, thing, you know, and the, at the time, you know, the bands that were out, like it was before the internet. So you didn't really know much about the bands. There was a lot of mystery to the bands. I remember, you know, I of course gravitated more towards the metal. I remember the first time I heard about like Iron Maiden, it was like in 1982 and it was like, you know, Dave Whitty again, you know, sitting in Dave Whitty's room talking about Iron Maiden. We discovered him for the first time. I remember saying, you know, I heard they sacrificed goats on stage. Like, you know, there was this allure about it. Like, you didn't know. You know, you'd see pictures in a magazine, which didn't even have magazines anymore. I don't know. But, um, you know, and that's all you knew about the band. So you didn't, you just saw some pictures and then you'd go to the local record store and you'd see like these album covers. And it's probably, you know, the metal bands always have the best album covers. So that's probably, you know, why I gra gravitated towards that. You know, I was like, man, this Iron Maiden album cover like looks so cool. You know, it's 
bought it and we were like blown away. We we're like, this is amazing, you know? And that was it. Once I heard Iron Maiden, I was like, still to this day, my favorite metal band of all time. I love that band. You know, and later on, I it was fortunate enough to actually be able to go on tour as an opening band with Iron Maiden. And that was, you know, that was kind of like a dream come true. It was like coming like full circle. You know, I remember sitting in Dave Whitty's bedroom, like for the first time, checking out Iron Maiden, you know, it's yes, uh, still to this day, it gives me like tingles, you know? Right. Um, so, so what happened after Antipockets then? What, uh, what was well, the next step after that? Well, we, we decided the Antipocket thing was fun. It was like jokey, you know, we did our like fun stuff and, you know, you know, our friends, like we had a good time with it, but we were like, you know, we started getting more serious about music, you know? And we were playing more, you know, Dave was becoming a really, you know, really good drummer. And, um, you know, I was starting to get, you know, a little better on guitar. And we're like, you know, let's start like, you know, let's make a serious band, you know? So we tried to, you know, find uh, the singer that uh, sang in here remains, Paul Miller. He also was in the anti-pocket crew a little bit. So, you know, we decided to, uh, you know, like be on the lookout for, uh, you know, some guys to do a band. So we did start a band called Final Judgment. It was more on like the, like, it was more of like a thrash band. And um, it just kind of like never really, uh, you know, took off. And it was kind of, it was kind of a little weak. We never had the, you know, right guys in it. So we're like, you know, we did that for a little bit, played a couple shows. Um, remember playing with deceased um as a great band uh and uh played a few you know maybe a few shows in our area in new jersey and then we're like all right we got to step this up you know we, we was you know at that time it was you know like the late 80s like we're like you know the death metal scene we finally like got turned on to you know, we we liked Iron Maiden, we liked Judas Priest, Black Sabbath, we knew all the metal bands, but then we wanted something a little more extreme. So we started getting, you know, really like exploring music and came across like Earache Records. You know, and they had like extreme bands, Napalm Death, Carcass, bands like that. And we were like, that like really blew us away. And we knew the thrash bands, we knew, you know, Metallica, you know, Anthrax, you know, bands like that. But then we heard this like bands doing these blast beats playing super fast. We're like, that's what we got to do. So we kind of scrapped the uh, final judgment. You know, we scrapped that band. You know, I was, that was only thrash. We needed something more extreme. So me and Dave, we set out to find some other guys, you know, that would do it with us. First bass player we got, this guy, Rob Leacock. He uh, would later on go on to uh, do many album covers for a lot of bands, drew uh, almost all the Monster Magnet album covers. Amazing artist. And uh, so he was the original bass player, and we found Super Copio. But we couldn't find a singer, so our buddy Paul, who was the anti pocket crew, he wound up singing, you know. I'm sure, you know, you know Death Metal bands, you got to have that voice, you know. So that became the formation of human remains. And, you know, very early on, Rob Leacock, the artist was like, all right, you guys are going to rehearse every day. Um, I'm out of here. You know, he did the last, so he, you know, he didn't want to be in the garage every day doing this. And then we, uh, we found Teddy Patterson who, uh, you know, played on the, uh, early human remains stuff. And I was very fortunate that, you know, at the time, you know, my parents were separated, my mother worked, so we basically took over the house and we had the garage, which we called the joint, and probably because we really smoked mostly joints in it, but, uh, and that's where, you know, Human Remains really started. And so that was the beginning of it, Human Remains was the first band where you, you guys were like, okay, we're going to fucking do this. Yeah, we're, we're going to do it, and we were, like, every day in that garage, and still to this day, I mean, that was the most, that was the most difficult band I ever played in. Um, it, you know, it was like, uh, somebody once uh, did a review of us and he called, said it was guitar gymnastics. And I always thought that was kind of funny, but it really was like our fingers, we really had to 
like work at it every day to get like to be able to play these like songs and we we had this like we had this rule we weren't allowed to use any effects on the songs everything had to be done with our fingers so that's when i think really steve procopio uh came up with the whole volume swell thing which is what we did and you know so if we wanted to do an effect we had to make it with our hands so that was the fast volume swell thing which we kind of became known for and you know dave witty just kept getting faster and faster back then that was the thing everybody you know who was the fastest drummer you know i think for a good long time dave woody was definitely up there you know maybe uh you know um guys from uh morbid angel he was super fast but dave woody was uh definitely up in the top and now there's like guys that are just like fucking machine guns but you know so uh you know that's what we did and then we just played our asses off like any shows that we can get you know we just played Let's see here and uh so did you start to see some uh some some traction being had uh, uh relatively soon or did it take a little while playing out before you guys started uh to, to well take off by the time we really kind of got going we, i think we started the band in 89 and then you know the early um you know our big influence in the area was a band called ripping corpse who never got their due. And I really, like now being in television, I really want to do a documentary about these guys. They're virtually like unknown to a lot of people, especially younger kids if they don't know about them. But they were very influential to us. So our early stuff sounded a little more like Ripping Corpse. It's, you know, sort of, like, you know, maybe like from like 90, 91, you know, 92. And then we start really getting our like own sound and, you know, getting our own thing. And, um, you know, then we just, we just play everywhere. But back at that time, if you think back then, the grunge scene was really exploding and grunge and metal really kind of didn't like mix. Like metal was not popular back then. It was very underground. There weren't a lot of places that really like welcomed it. You know, because the grunge scene at that time was exploding, and that's what people wanted. People wanted, you know, like, you know, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden type bands. And that's probably the you know, reason why, like, um, Monster Magnet wound up exploding. Obviously, I wasn't in the but So, anyway, I'm getting off track, but we used to play wherever we could. The big scenes in death metal were. New Jersey, lucky for us, that's where we were, and then uh, Florida, Tampa, Florida, and then upstate New York. So all the time we take trips upstate New York, and that's where we befriended an uh, awesome dude named Braun. Later on, Braun would go on the four Mastodon, and you know, that's how we know the Mastodon guys to this day. And But back then, we would go up there and stay at Braun's house, you know, Braun had the best mother and like she would like cook for us and uh we, we had a blast. So kind of upstate New York and Jersey we could just go back and forth and just play as much as we could. So so how long was human remains around then? Because you guys you, you you jumped right in and you started uh networking and um how, how yeah, long did it go on for then? I think it finally imploded around um you know, around ninety six you know, it started not to become fun because it became like a competition. There were some bands in the area and it would just be more of a competition. Like, you, you know, everybody trying to outdo one another. And, you know, but we all did, it was pretty cool. We all did live in a band house. It looked, actually it looked like a haunted house. It almost looked like the Munsters house or something like that. And we, uh, we lived there and you know, we played in the basement by this time and, I mean, the house was falling apart. Like the kitchen ceiling was falling in, water was leaking. But you know, when you're, you know, late teens, early twenties, like you know, we didn't care. We thought it was like the coolest thing, and uh, that's you know. And then you know, we would just like grind it out and trying to get record deals. We would, you know, we would like shop ourselves around, and it, it was tough though to get signed because we weren't like straight ahead death metal. You know, we were a little more on the grindcore side, but we were very technical. And back then, the technical stuff wasn't as popular as it is now. Like a lot of bands, you know, do that stuff like way better than we ever did. But back then, it was still relatively new, and you know, we kind of like didn't 
really nowhere to, to fit in. But eventually, Relapse Records like took a liking to us, and uh, we put out a record. I think as soon as we put out the record, <laughs> basically the band broke up. That, oh, was, that was that. And that was around '96, you said, and and it wasn't long after you joined Monster Magnet, right? Well, no, actually, you know, um, I still Silverman was um, uh, a year before uh, Human Remains broke up. I uh, I remember you know seeing a band not far from our area called uh, Dead Guy, and I was like, oh man, this band's great. They were kind of like doing almost like different than um, Human Remains. They were doing maybe like kind of like you know, today is the day, neurosis, Melvin's kind of stuff. I was like, you know, just throwing the guitar around and just like chaos on stage. Pretty much kind of like what Dillinger's uh, escape plan, you know, wound up doing, you know, but earlier on, it was like dead guy was like the band doing that. And we played with those guys and I was like, man, this band is great. You know, this band's like awesome. And it just so happens that, that, you know, at that time, uh, two of the guys left and then they needed a bass player. And I was like, shit, man, I'm playing a seven string guitar here in Humor and Moon. I could play a four string bass, no problem. So I auditioned for Dead Guy and, uh, you know, they knew me from Humor and Moon. And, you know, a lot of guys auditioned because a lot of people wanted to be in that band. And uh, so I wanted to pick with me. So you know, then I, you know, I was in that band. I was doing double duty. And then I don't think the Remains guys, you know, like that because, you know, kind of distracted me a little bit. And eventually when Remains finished, you know, I, you know, I was just basically a full-time like dead guy guy. <laughs> and so that's so, how you became a bass player, though. You ended up just, it was because that, that's what they needed. And so that's yeah. what you did. That's exactly how I started bass. And, um, you know, that band was those guys were hilarious and they were like the meanest coolest people i've ever like seen in my life they would make fun of people on stage like while the person was like in the audience they were like so brutal on people but it, like it was it, in hindsight it was like really hilarious but you know we did the, that was more of the hardcore scene you know we were on victory records and i remember playing with like you know like like Snapcase, earth crisis like Warzone you know, like sick of it all. Like, the, you know, it was more in the hardcore scene, you know, uh, even though I was like, you know, I was like a long hairy guy, but you know, uh, you know, that was like a little bit of a different scene for me. And I, you know, I dug that and I, I really liked playing bass from there on. And soon after that, I kind of really just stuck with bass. I kind of put the guitar down. Plus I got sick of playing the seven string guitar. It was like too many strings. I like the four strings of the bass. A lot, a lot more simple. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, but, so you're you're, you're touring with this would have been the the uh, like late '90s then is when you were with uh, Dead Guy, right? Yeah, I think I, I I joined in '95, and I probably did you know, I probably did Dead Guy like '96, '97, you know, maybe you know for a few years. But it was a blast, man. When we toured the country. I think. We had a little, we had a van and we drove around the country, I think three times once, just like in a circle around the country, just driving around playing show after show. We played a lot, you know, and that, that was, it was a really fun band. You know, great tattoo is uh, Tom Yanyak was in that band with me and he's, he's got a place in Asbury electric tattoo and those guys, he's a great tattooist. And, uh, he was a really funny dude too, man. Those guys are hilarious, extremely rude, but hilarious. <laughs> Well, so you, uh, at that point, you, you were a professional then. You'd been doing it, you know, you'd been on the road for almost a decade at that point, and, you know, or taking it seriously at least. Uh, yeah. I guess professional, even though, like, uh, on my uh, playing days, I drove an ice cream truck and delivered pizza. So <laughs> I guess I was a professional, but definitely didn't make any money out of it, but just doing it because we loved it, you know. And uh, then, uh, you know, I guess eventually that kind of faded out because, um, you know, I think the band kind of ran its course at that time, you know, and it was done with. Yeah. As it, as it does. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and, yeah, so, but there were men. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, so after dead guy uh, ran its course, what, what happened after that? Well, I kind of like, I kind of was like done with, um, you know, I was kind of done with the whole, like the metal thing I really liked it, but I wanted to try some other stuff, you know? 
And uh, I, I, you know, previous to that, I was asked to play in some other bands. In hindsight, I made a mistake because um, I, I was asked to play in Dylan's Escape Plan, turned that down, and obviously see what those guys became. This was earlier on, you know, nobody really knew them. And I turned that down, and then I, of course, uh, <laughs> that was a mistake. And I also, um, I was asked to play in Today is the Day, this guy Steve Austin's band, and Braun from Macedon at the time was the you know, drummer of the band and, you know, you know, for Mastodon. So kind of regret, you know, not doing those, but I also just wanted to try a different, you know, style of music. And, uh, that's when I, uh, got into this band called Lord Sterling. And that was more of like, I guess people describe this as like Punk Floyd. We could do a Black Flag song or we could do a Pink Floyd song or we could do an MC5 song or a Stooges song. You know, we kind of like really mix it up. You know, that that was a, that was a really fun band. It was one of my favorite bands to play in because it was real like psychedelic and spacey, but it was also like really you know uh, aggressive as well. Okay, uh, so how long did Lord Sterling go on for then? I feel like I, I played that band for quite a long time. Um, you know, that band went on. I feel like I played that band for like ten years. And, you know, at that time, everybody always had multiple bands. I was also, um, th- then I started, uh, um, drum teching for Monster Magnet. And I, uh, on the side, I used to do another band called the Ribeye Brothers, which was basically the guys from Monster Magnet, uh, with, uh, with Tim Cronin singing, uh, who did lights for Monster Magnet. And that was more of a country, like garage rock band. But I wanted to try, like, different things. You know, so I did Lord Sterling, I did the Ribeye Brothers, and I also did a band called the Casino Royales, which was a straight-up surf rock band. Wow. Uh, named after the Woody Allen movie, Casino Royale, not the later one. Um, and uh, But we had go-go dancers, confetti cannons, smoke machines. That band was like a party every time we played. But I just thought, you know, it was fun to uh, try different forms of music. You know, you can't just play like one thing all the time, you know? Yeah, that's a full fucking schedule, though. That's, I mean, that's a lot to be it, juggling. It really was. It, it really was. You know, but we wound up, uh, you know, um, none of the bands, like, you know, really, like, took off so much. And, you know, but I did, you know, did them all for years. And then, uh, you know, but I would, then I would start touring more with Monster Magnet as a tech. I was, uh, a drum tech and I was like wanted to be like a car tech, like stage managing and did all that stuff. You know, and then eventually uh Joe and John left the band, who are still in the Ribeye Brothers to this day. Um and uh when they needed a bass player, Dave Windows asked if I wanted to play bass. And since I tech for him for so many years, I basically knew all his songs. And I was like, all right, you know, I'll do this and then that's how I got into Monster Magnet. And and what year was that? That would have been early two thousands, I'm guessing. I think it was ninety nine. Ninety nine. It was right after you know, the big album was Power Trip and uh and so it was like after that, um uh well I I can't even remember the album that was after that, but that's when I came in on the tour after the Power Trip tour. And uh, it was a blast. I mean, we had a good time. And it was, of course, it was ridiculous. You know, we just toured like nonstop. And it was, that was really fun. That was a good time. Yeah, living the dream. But you you had a crazy couple of years there from when Human Remains ended and, and you kind of had the overlap with Dead Guy. You did a lot in, in just those three, four years before Monster Magnet came along. Oh, yeah. So you kind of got to sort of, um, you know, expand your horizons, like you were saying, and, and try as yeah. many things as you possibly could. And then the Monster Magnet thing coalesced. And so was did that become yeah. your full-time gig, or were you still doing other things? Or It did. I played with a couple other guys. I mean, you may or may not know. I also played bass with this guy, um, Question Mark, and the Mysterians. They had a big hit called 96 Tears uh, back in the 60s. He was, I guess, considered a one-hit wonder, although he had many other cool songs. And uh, that guy was literally, I think, from outer space. He was awesome. Check him out, though, question mark. And, uh, another guy, an old 
uh, garage rocker uh, from Detroit, Scott Andre Williams. He's actually from uh, Bessemer, Alabama, but it kind of he's known as like a Detroit guy. And I played bass with him as well. He's got a, a bunch of awesome albums. You know, he's like real gritty guy. You know, so we did a bunch. I did some stuff there too. And then kind of, yeah, they kind of really started focusing more on lots of bands because we would be on the road like all the time, but all the time. And you were, you were, that was, like I said, you were their full-time bassist. And so you, I mean, th- that yeah. was, the, you, you were in Monster Mag until 2013. So that's, I mean, that's, that's quite yeah. the hell of a stretch there. Yeah. 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 It was, yeah, it was, it was quite a while. Well, um, well, um, well, so tell us, I mean, like, did, did you, were you finally able to quit your day job at that point once you were in Monster Magnet and doing it? Because you said you, you guys were touring constantly. It seems like it would be kind of hard to hold down an extra job while you're doing that. Well, I was, I was trying to do both because, you know, I kind of, in the meantime, you know, I also kind of got like uh, introduced to the world of television. So I was kind of trying to do both, but it's very hard. That's why a lot of musicians do not have jobs because it's very hard to do both. Um, but believe it or not, people, you know, we played shows with, you know, Metallica in front of like, you know, 80,000 people. And meanwhile, like, you know, we get home from the tour and we'd all be broke. We had like no money because we got paid like shit, you know, cause it's really good. We love bad. And as, as, uh, you know, and him and his like, manager, I think really take all the money. So, you know, we, you know, like the drummer would go back to painting houses. Yeah. I would, you know, go back to whatever job, you know, like the television thing. And it was really, it became like tough because, you know, people think, you know, you know, everybody's like, you know, playing these big shows, you're making money. But a lot of times the money doesn't always go to the, into the band, you know, pockets, you know. Right. It depends on the, the dynamic that the members strike up with each other. Some bands are equal, equal shares for equal work and others. Yeah. It's like this, this is my band. And, and it, band. You're just tired guns. Yeah, every, every other band I was in it was always equal, but you know this was really Monster Management is Dave Windorf, and it's Dave Windorf's band, and you know he calls the shots, and you, you know you have to you know, you know either you know either you like it or you you, you hit the road, and yeah, you know, I did it for as long as I could, but eventually it's like you know it's it's just it's tough, but I, yeah, I had a lot of good experience while doing it a lot of funny stories and you know played with like you know as a kid like i said getting a tour with iron maiden you know metallica bands that i listened to back in dave witty's bedroom like you know he growing up you know uh getting a tour with them that you know it was it was it was worth it though yeah does any particular year like or, or tour or even just moments stick out to you from the, all those years that you're in Monster Magnet? Like if you had to pick one or two? Yeah, there's a couple, there's a bunch of things. I mean, I think it was like 2003. I think we toured almost the entire year of 2003. I think by the time we were done, we were like, like shot out of a can. We, I, we didn't even know who we were. We were like, you know, but um, I'm trying to think of uh, stories for you. <laughs> one story that I, I always really liked we played with this band called chicken foot now chicken foot con- consisted of uh chad from the red hot chili peppers um sammy hagar joe satriani and michael anthony of van halen right now does anybody you know any everybody knew anybody that knew monster magnet knew that like i never we never got drunk on stage but when we were done playing we drank jack daniels and we drank a lot of it you know but so we're on this bill with chicken foot and Michael Anthony from Van Halen, legendary Jack Daniels drinker. And he's got a Jack Daniels base. We're like, we're like, we got to hang out with him. You know, we got to like party with him. So sure enough, you know, we like weasel our way into this area. You know, we had already played our set, you know, they're going on later by this time. You know, like a little juiced up and, you know, um, kind of knew uh, Chad from the uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. So, you know, kind of talking to him and see Michael Anthony. It happened to be his birthday. 
you know, we're like, hey, man, you know, we just wanted to say hi. And it's, you know, so I also loved Van Halen growing up. And I was, thought he was a good, he never got his due. I thought he was a cool bass player, like underrated, you know. So he's like, oh, man, why don't you guys, you know, come up to the uh, stands and, you know, hang out while we're playing. And we're like, oh, yeah, we got to do this, you know. And now we're psyched. It's his birthday, you know, we're drinking Jack Daniels and, and so we get up there and, you know, I'm sitting there and I look over and the Jack Daniels bass is there. <laughs> and, and, you know, he walks up, you know, and he walks up, he's like, I'm like, dude, there it is. He's like, you want to play it? I was like, fuck yeah, I want to play the Jack Daniels bass. So I'm so shit-faced on Jack Daniels, playing the Jack Daniels bass. I'm like, I'm like, oh man, this is cool, man. This is like, remember seeing this bass pictures, you know. So these guys go on stage and they're, you know, they're rocking, they're doing this thing. And we got the bottle of Jack Daniels. So we're like sipping it, you know, we're sipping out of the bottle, you know, we're big rock guys just like taking like little sips out of a Jack Daniels bottle. And Michael Anthony walks up and, you know, he looks at us, he grabs the bottle of Jack. He's like, I'll show you how to drink Jack Daniels. And he downed almost the entire bottle in one gulp. I don't know how he turned around and kept playing bass. It was unbelievable. Yeah, so, that doesn't surprise me at all, though. That's, I mean, that's, that was probably he, that was probably like his second, third one that night. Yeah, like, and we wound up having such a fun time with him. I think Sammy Hagar, by the end of it, was going to like punch us all in the face because <laughs> I must have called him the Red Rocker at least a hundred times. The Red Rocker and like our guitar. So he's known as the Red Rocker, and I think like, Red Rocker, and he was just like, "All right, asshole, get the fuck out of my face." <laughs> and um, and you know, then of course, you know, Ed Mandel was still in the band at the time. It was literally, he was a big Montrose fan. And of course, early on, uh, before you know, um, Sammy Hager was solo, he was in the band Montrose. So between me calling him the Red Rocker and Ed asking him about Montrose. And then, you know, slamming all the Jack Daniels with uh, Michael Anthony. We literally had to carry our guitar player out of the room. And then it was just, it was a mess. And then it was a cake for uh, Mike. It was Michael Anthony's birthday, and there was a big cake fight. It was just uh, one of those nights that, like, I really, really, like, laugh about when I think of it. Think of it. Yeah, that's pretty classic, uh, like, classic rock band Oh, it's great. It was great, you know, and it's and like just certain things I remember. You know, we to, to, played with Merciful Fate and Metallica, and I, I always needed like I love Merciful Fate. I love King Diamond. King Diamond's the guy. You know, the makeup, the upside down crosses, and the uh, the top hat. But then I would see him backstage, and he would be wearing like sweatpants, and I was like, man, I, I don't want to see this guy in sweatpants. I want to see him with an upside down cross and a top hat. You right, know? right, destroys the illusion. Just like that in my head <laughs> um i i actually to kind of not get off too too off subject here but it something just occurred to me and i've always wanted to ask you this when the very first time i ever heard of monster magnet was in was on uh, mitch hedberg's uh comedy central yeah. special did you are you familiar yeah. with that joke that where he's at the monster of magnet course, concert? yeah oh of course everybody um everybody always like yeah asked about that was like uh, what is the whole thing? Do you feel human? I, I forget exactly what it was. Well, how did it go? It was. He's basically like uh, the the um, <clears throat> Mitch is like. I went to this concert as band Monster Magnet, and the the singer asked everybody uh, who who out there feels like a, a human uh, right now, and and, and, every, <laughs> yeah, and then he and then, yeah. he, and then he asked how many people feel like an animal, and everybody went yeah, except for me. I answered the first part because I didn't know there was a second part to the question. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, that's. That's classic, man. I, I love that. Dude. Were you That's in great. the group at that oh, point, or was that was that? Because I think they would have been right around no. when you joined. I think it was around that time. Uh, I think it was around that time. Yeah, I can't really remember what came up, but I definitely knew it. Man, he he was funny. Yeah, he definitely died way too soon. Man, he was a funny, funny guy. Yeah, that was. I didn't believe my friend when uh, when he told me, and that was in March of two thousand five. In fact, I think it might have been April Fool's Day, even. And I was every a lot of people thought it was a joke when when the news came out. 
Um, but yeah, yeah, worry. yeah. Well, that's such a bummer. But yeah, hilarious dude. Yeah, and that's it. <laughs> like you just you just telling the joke actually. Was, uh, it is it is funny. Um, and it definitely t- sounds like something Dave would have said on stage too. He probably really did say that. That probably really happened. Well, there you go. Um, so I, actually, before uh, I, because I, I, w- I want to get into uh, your your your. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier that you'd been uh, c- kind of starting to get into television, and that was that's kind of been your yeah. your your other career besides music. Um, and uh, could you just talk about that a little bit and how you got into it and and all the things that you've done uh, with that? Yeah, well, you know, there was a, there was a brief time where Monster Man actually went to like a hiatus, and uh, you know, Dave had his like issues to deal with. So we had a lot. Uh, we had, a, I think, it was almost like two years, a year and a half, two years, where you know we wound up like you know having you know, we didn't know what to do. We went from touring all the time to all of a sudden now nothing. You know, we did, we did form Riot God, and you know, uh, Bob and Garrett, who's in uh, Monster Magnet now. So we did Riot God to, you know, do the music thing. We did pretty, you know, good in Europe and everything. But obviously that wasn't paying the bills at all. So I had to find some work. And, you know, my my cousin had uh, previously, uh, he was a camera guy. And uh, he's like, oh, you know, we need a sound guy. And I was like, I could do that. You know, I worked in, you know, recording studios. I could do the TV thing, you know. So I wound up just doing that. On the side of the road, driving back to the MLB All Star game, uh, doing sound there. So, you know, it's uh, it's not as glamorous as uh, you, you know touring around the world, but it's definitely uh, you know it's definitely so you know it has its moments of being really fun too. Really good party last night. So I think that's why I got a little bit of a late start. So. Yeah, but that's, I mean, if you can make a go of it in that business, I mean, you know, you, you meet just as many interesting people and, and it's it's still a, you know, oh like I said, God, if you can yeah. get your, if you can make your yourself, you know, part of the network, uh, it's it's a good yeah. thing. You know, if, uh, you know, I do a lot of sports, I'm not a huge sports guy, as I said, yeah, I'm like a music guy, you know, and, uh, but I do a lot of sports, I'm always around athletes and I, I do find it interesting, but, you know, and some people, I guess, get very starstruck with, uh, you know, um, you know, with athletes. I just, uh, you know, I, I think it's cool, but, you know, it's definitely, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take music any day over sports. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, I, I did the, the audio thing just for a summer, 10 years ago, actually. It was exactly 10 years ago now. And, and even just in that summer, like, I, I mean, you know, I'll never forget – you know, most of the things that I did and, and, uh, even some of, some of the stuff that where I, like, I wasn't meeting famous people or anything. It was just, you know, like, you know, going into the, the factory where they were designing the Chevy Volt, which hadn't come out yet at that point, you know, um, you know, doing a, we did a, mm-hmm. a week long shoot at, uh, an art gallery. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good, I mean, I really enjoyed it. If, if the recession hadn't happened, I probably would still be doing it. But uh, t- that was 2008, so it wasn't long after that. Uh, that kind of uh, the uh, my career hopes for that were kind of dashed uh, against the rocks. But um, but anyway, I digress. Yeah. Well, Go ahead. Like I said, in hindsight, I probably should have become a dentist. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well. Um, so. Uh, so I'm trying. I guess. Uh, I guess at this point I'll ask you what you want to whine about, man. Because I guess we've covered pretty much pretty much everything up until. I mean, what do you what? Well, actually, before I do that, what do you got going, coming on in the future here? Like, are you are you doing anything? You know, what have you been up to lately musically? Because you uh, left Monster Magnet in 2013, so yeah, yeah. Mostly, I just enjoy sweeping now. I got really into sweeping lately. I like sweeping up leaves in my backyard. I do lots of sweeping and. Did you know uh, this is an actual fact that every Italian has at least four brooms in their house? Did you know that? I did not know that. I do now, though. I'm going to write yeah. that down. If you have, go to any Italian household and look around. You'll find minimum of four brooms. I have, of course, way more than four brooms because I like sweeping. So it's kind of what I do with my time. I sweep a little bit, you know. And uh, that's kind of that's kind of how I pass the time, sweeping up leaves. 
But so you, I, I, you know, I like to keep a tight yard. You know what I'm saying? No, nothing wrong with that, man. Uh, but you, so are you doing the audio tech thing mostly full time now? Or are you doing any music or what's? The... Yeah, no, I, 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 I do that. I do it all the time now. Uh, I've had a couple people approach me about projects, but like I said, it's just like you know, to do, uh, to do both, to be in a successful touring band and to have a serious job. Um, I think that there's people that can do it, but it's. Dancing really does take a lot of time, you know, between like rehearsing and you got to be really dedicated for it. But, um, so, you know, I do like, uh, you know, I, I do like, you know, the television thing or I, I like when the checks come in. So, uh, yeah, I'll keep on doing that for a little while. We'll see. Right. But maybe who knows? Maybe we'll do, we'll do another project. The Ribeye Brothers asked me do a show recently um but you know maybe we'll do some uh stuff here and there we'll see yeah you got to take a break sometime right you know and, and just focus on focus on working and, and getting those sending out yeah. those invoices but you know here's the thing i mean the people really want to see like middle-aged guys like rocking out you know unless maybe you know it's like the rolling stones or like you know band like that you know, like, do you want to see a bunch of, like, old guys, like, rocking, you know? I mean, I can still rock out. I I, can, you know, I, I still got some rock moves, but, you know, save that for, like, the younger guys, I think. Yeah, well, that's kind of interesting because, you know, like, the, the younger generation now, they're not, the rock is not nearly as prevalent as it used to be. Um, amongst them, I mean, they're oh, still no. you yeah, still get yeah. you know you still get fans of like of of rock music and metal and all that, but it's all the stuff that came before. It's like there doesn't really seem there's no millennial Metallica, there's no millennial Nirvana. Um, yeah, so it's that's, that's the truth. That's the truth. You know, any any guys that stole my rehearsal studio in Red Bank, which I've had since 1994, where you know, a lot of bands come through there, you know, and I see like these younger kids, and I'm like. You know what you guys got to do? Is like, I just tell them, I was like, go watch some fucking MC5 footage. Like, those guys, like, knew how to do it. They had the rock moves. They fucking had the attitude. You know, go go watch the MC5. You know, go watch the Stooges. Go see these bands. See how it's done, you know? And they look at me, they're like, who the fuck are the MC5? Yeah. <laughs> do your homework. People got to do their homework on, you know, what came before. And then, you know, maybe you'll start seeing, uh, yeah, maybe it'll be the next uh, Metallica. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know what's next, but something's got to happen. Yeah, we need it. I noticed that everything, I always, I point out to people, like, everything kind of started to go to shit, right, as rock stopped being mainstream. It was about, you know, yeah. you know eight years ago so, or so. Uh, so, um but uh, but yeah, man. Um, so we're uh, we're coming up on the end of it here. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you, uh, what do you want to whine about, man? <laughs> I thought I whined about pockets. Didn't uh, I did my whining about pockets, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Did. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, I think pockets are my biggest gripe these days. Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of things I hate. I hate you know, celery. Who the fuck eats celery? What's that about? It will literally kill you. No if you if you only eat celery, it, uh, it there are no nutrients. It's like you're eating you're eating nothing. So I can I can like who wants celery? Like who wants that? That's that's no good. That's that's, that's no good at all. But, uh, yeah, my I I, I kind of come to peace with the uh, the pocket thing, but really, like why pockets on shirts, right? You know, it's no good. Well, I was gonna say you because you said there the the original intention for them was so people could uh, could hold their cigarettes. So in a way, you're kind of anti-smoking as well. I am anti-smoking. I, I you know, I'm gonna be honest with you. It drives me nuts. Nothing grosser than I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. Do you believe it? I've never smoked wow. a cigarette in my life. I can't can't even believe it. And uh, I feel horrible. You think I would feel better, but I I really don't. <laughs> well, uh, you know, there'll be way more weed smoking going on around the around the country uh within the next uh, you know, couple decades. You know, cigarettes are on their way out and weed is on its way in. So, I'd rather uh yeah. people be smoking weed than uh than, than the cigarettes. Every yeah, I walk around uh walk around Brooklyn and everybody uh major Brooklyn just stinks like weed now. Yeah. And uh yeah, yeah, good. Everybody should start uh 
smoking some weed at the world of better more mellow place right yeah and then i'm sure like we'll we'll find something to complain about you know the smell of weed it's like man everything fucking smells like weed now you know so <laughs> I know. just nothing nothing yeah, works but the kids they, the, the kids smoke uh they, they they do smoke the pens now i don't think anybody even smokes uh actual uh like weed out of a bowl anymore do they yeah. is that a thing of the past like bong hits do the kids like bong hits anymore I do. I, I don't know. <laughs> Kate does. <laughs> yes. The kids do like bong hits. Great. I love it. Yeah, no, there's nothing you nothing know? like a good bong hit. I, I smoked out of a bowl when I, when I did it. <laughs> I have a Jack Daniels water bong that's like my best friend in the summer. Oh, there you go. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go buy a bong, I think. I haven't done a bong hit in like 20 years. I'm, I'm going to go buy a bong this weekend. It could be shaped like a broom. Get a get a broom bong for, for <laughs> all type of this. <laughs> I like that. I like it. I'm 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 gonna look for that. <laughs> all right, man. Um. Well, uh, I guess we'll we'll wrap it up then. Uh, Jimmy, thanks so much for coming on, man. I, when I started this podcast, you yeah. were one of the guys on my on my very like top five like list of like okay, out of the people that I know I can get, I, I want to I got to talk to you. So so thanks so much for coming awesome. on, man. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, next time I'll just tell stories. I didn't talk about myself. I'll just tell dumb stories because I didn't even get into too many. But maybe, maybe what I'll do is we'll hang out over drinks and I'll tell you some dumb stories that I can't tell over the air here. So, oh, that'd be awesome, man. I would love that. We will. We will definitely do that. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, cool, um, man. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you, and uh, and everybody else. I will be uh, I will be back in on Monday uh, evening. Um, I have a, a guest that I, I am really really looking forward to talking with. I'm I don't want to give anything away, but please, uh, you're going to want to listen to that. So everybody, check that out.